This is CliffCentral.com. Happy Monday. Welcome to The Bounce Show. After what has been probably the biggest weekend of sports so far in 2016, my name is Ben Karpinski. I am your host this week and every week. Basically, this show is an extension of all the things that you want to be talking about right now in sport. I've got great guests, hopefully very good content. It's going to touch on many, many topics that you're going to find relevant. And of course, just bring you up to speed of what you need to look forward to in sport, really. Uh, like I said, biggest weekend I think we've had in quite some time. There was, just name the sport, there was something huge happening. And of course, the big cricket action was pretty much what took center stage. The Proteus had, well, it's almost like a, a mountain to climb after being 2-0 down in that, in that five uh, ODI series. They came back and they clinched it. Three wins on the bounce, so to speak. And that was very, very exciting because we haven't had much to support or much to cheer about in SA Sport lately, which is kind of sad. Uh, but AB and the boys stuck to their guns and, hey, presto, we've got to win. What else happened? Football, well, so much there. We'll get into that in the headlines. We've got Mike Stopforth coming in today. Now, Mike Stopforth is someone who, I think when I first got onto Twitter, I started following him. He is hes a bit of a maverick in the world of online, social media, and uh, just general digital kind of things. So I was chatting to him like I normally do over Twitter, and uh, he was saying that he wants to talk about the fact that he thinks ODI cricket might be done and dusted. Maybe there's no future in the game, so to speak. Now, I, for one, love one-day cricket. I believe it's such a great balanced format, and it does so much for the sport, and I believe it's the only one true format for where the World Cup should flourish. Anyway, Mike's going to come in, and we're going to debate that. I think we should have more debates around sport. Um, I think we've become so accustomed to troll behavior on Twitter, where people basically make a point, and the other person just shouts them down. We need constructive conversations to get to really good points, because that's how you really learn things in life. And then Dan's back from Conquer Sports. He's got a fascinating topic for us this week about recycling sporting talent. Um, it doesn't sound as sort of, well, it's basically taking people from various codes and what codes are great donor sports to others when you think about it. I know the first thing you'll think about here is uh, the movie Cool Runnings. I think we all watched that about sprinters becoming bobslayers. But Dan's got all the stories behind that and uh, what we could look for in donor sports and if maybe our local sports here in SA could maybe adopt this kind of rule. But that will all be a little bit later uh, with those headlines coming up. But first, you know, it is now 20 years since the movie Happy Gilmore came into our, into our sporting world and onto screen. So throughout the show today, I'm going to play for you some of my, my favorite clips from that movie Happy Gilmore, which is... Um, 20 years old now, 20 years old, and essentially still, I think, Adam Sandler's greatest moment. About to let his reign at the top be spoiled by some freak. Oh, crap. Sorry, hang on a second. Here we go. You were the talk of the tournament. Wow, thanks a lot. Yeah, well, you really crushed that ball off the tee, I'll tell you what. You know, you'd be something in one of those long drive contests. Yeah, you could probably make a very good living traveling around, hustling at driving ranges. Thanks, Phil. That's, 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 you know, I know what you're doing right now, mm. and I don't like it. So why don't you just shut your trap before I put my foot in it? Don't turn your back on me. Let's get one thing straight. This is Shooter's tour. I've worked hard my whole life, paid my dues, and now it's Shooter's turn. And Shooter's not about to let his reign at the top be spoiled by some freak sideshow clown. Did you just call me a freak? Hmm. I was on this tour for one reason, money. But now I got a new reason, kicking your ass. Well, <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Let's do it. Hey, I'm in on a golf course. Hey, hey, what is going on here, huh? Oh, I was just um looking for the other half of this bottle, and uh oh, there's some of it right there's a, there's some right there too. Why don't you just put it down? Yeah, I know. Just stay out of my way, or you'll pay. Listen to what I say. How about I just go eat some hay? I can make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say? Twenty years old as of this last weekend, Happy Gilmore. You remember the the love interest in Happy Gilmore, that uh, woman who was like the commissioner of the tour. Well, she is uh, Claire from Modern Family. I was watching that these clips. I was thinking, where she looks familiar? What's she in? And she's the the mom from Modern Family. Right. Well, let's get into the headlines then, because there was so much to get through this last weekend in sports. Uh, if you weren't on the couch or if you had things to do, then it's a good thing we catch up now. Because, yeah, like I said from the start, the cricket was the big deal. I went to that pink match at the Wanderers on Friday. And the Wanderers, it just never, ever, ever, ever disappoints. I had this debate recently on Twitter saying to people that uh, 
it's probably the best grind in the country. And people will all go, oh, it's Newlands. It has to be Newlands. There's a great vibe and there's the mountain and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, sure. Great. But the Wanderers is just magnificent from the actual playing facilities, the crowd spectacle, and like just viewing purposes. You know, they've got some really good stadiums in there. It's really built up. And for one day cricket, it's just electrifying. Because even though this game was kind of disappointing in Wanderers run standards, it was still a thrilling, thrilling match because anything can happen at the Wanderers. You can get a, a big over out of nowhere. You can suddenly rip through a batting attack. There's always something in for just high action, high octane cricket. And there was no difference this weekend. So the Wanderers test uh, ODI essay winning by a wicket in the end. Now they bowled England out pretty cheaply. I think anything less than 300 on that pitch, you're kind of considering a bit of a fail. But, uh, yeah, the SA boys just kind of then capitulated. I mean, AB was run out. Doomy did nothing. Uh, Fuff didn't exactly do much either. It was just a real shame to see we had the English where we wanted them. And all we had to do in this whole series was just expose this bowling lineup. We did it in Bloemfontein before the rain came and we did it at Centurion. So all we had to do was that and we'd win it. And it came down to the fact that our tail suddenly had to do some work. And, of course, with that came all the Behardin comments about how crap this guy is, why is he in the team. He is essentially the Zayn Kirshner of, of the Proteas, no matter what this guy does. I mean, he could score a 50, and people will go on about the fact that the bowlers were tired or it was an easy pitch or whatever it is. But the thing is, he's not scoring 50s, and this was his prime opportunity on Friday to really take the tail home. He can play that lead anchor role and get like a 50-60 run score there. But it wasn't to be, and it came out of Chris Morris, who then skied a ball and then that was it. That was basically all done. Rabada got a first ball. Chris Morris skied it up in the air. But Adol Rashid, he dropped it. And it was a costly drop. He essentially dropped the series right there. And then Morris went on to absolutely clobber the ball around. He got 62 and 38. Eventually bowled by Rashid in the, in, towards the end. But we actually ended up pissing it in the end, run-wise, uh, with balls left. Tahir came on, hit the running, winning run. Ran a bit around, swung his bat around. But it was a really great ODI. It was something that really, I think, the standard hasn't been tremendous throughout the series. I think when you look at the various points of play, the bowling's been very loose. There's been a lot of uh, very soft dismissals. But it was a thrilling finish, and one we haven't seen in quite some time. Which then got us into the decider on Sunday in Cape Town. And obviously a much low-scoring ground, Cape Town. I think the average first inning score there is like 222 or something like that. Something that Richie Benner would have, would have wrestled with. So England put into bat by AB again. And, uh, yeah, they did badly. They did really badly. And uh, again, losing just soft dismissals here and there. Root didn't get a hundred this time around, which obviously in- increased the chance of England winning because every time he gets a hundred, they seem to lose. So a couple of guys st- stuck around, but essentially it was just Hales, and Hales was the, the rock. He's batted so well. He ended up being top run scorer for the series. But it wasn't enough because SA, despite the fact that there were, I think, three wickets down for 22 runs, that Topley was just going through them. AB settled down with Hash. They've got a 100-run partnership, and AB de Villiers, knowing he needed something really amazing to kind of win the series and put it to rest, he scored a 100. What a tremendous innings that was. And again... Looking, I'm not picking on him now, but Bayardin had that chance just to kind of run through the end of the inning, show his worth, show that he's in the team for all the merit. And again, got suckered into some stupid trap. He lofted the ball to, to uh, Midon. And it was uh, Visa who came around with a solid 40. So when you look at this team, I still believe against that bowling attack, you know, which is very green for England, we, we probably should have made this series a lot little easier. But the English team did tire. They tired badly. You could just see it, Ben Stokes. I mean, Ben Stokes was so tired towards the end there. His hair went from fluorescent orange to about like a dark auburn. You could see the guy just lost his mojo. He lost his spark. And with that, we managed to win. So very encouraging. Just have a look at the batting lineups or the batting table there. Hales came out as as the top batsman there. 383 runs with an average of 76. He got 104.50. So he was basically in the mix the whole time. Really, really incredible. Here's a guy they're looking to make into the next sort of KP as such. You know, he's a big swashbuckling batsman. Whether he can be the test opener going forward still remains to be seen. Root was also fantastic. Five innings there for 351 runs, averaging 70. 200s and 150, and then de Kock was our, was our pick really. 326 runs, an average of 81 and a half, a strike rate of 106.88, 200s, and then AB was with 100 and 150, same with Hash, so that was our 4 and 5. The bowlers, little known, left arm at Topley was tremendous. He got 10 wickets, he topped the bowling charts there, average of 21.9. 
and Kakisa Robada. Well, you can't keep him out. He played less matches than Topley, but nine wickets there, an average of 19.88, strike rate of 25. This guy is just brilliant. And he's, wow, it's just such an exciting prospect to know that we've got this solid gold youngster coming through. And the guy just ticks all the boxes. He just seems to have a level head on his shoulders. He knows what to do in the situations, and there's a genuine strike ability there. It's just so cool. And he doesn't ever seem like he's just overawed by the occasion. So there's a lot to kind of take out of that series. I will get more in depth on the Bounce of Zero today later. I'll write a big piece about this with some more stats. But it is a, a positive thing because all this momentum, I think, plays a big part in cricket. It really does. I think you can see momentum shifting from that really, really big win in Centurion there. Suddenly, the English, they would have gone through. You know, they were tired. They were quite jaded. It's been a very long tour. I mean, their first game started on December the 15th. So it's been three months now. It's a long time to be in another country. It's a long time to be living out of a backpack. A long time to be just packing stuff in and out of bags, going to hotels, eating from hotel kitchens. So they were looking to wrap that up quite quite quickly. But the fact that the Proteus did them over in Centurion, and the momentum shifted. Now that same momentum is going to go into the T20s. The Friday is one at Newlands. That's going to take place at 6.30. And then Sunday will be the second T20 at Joburg. There'll be a 2.30 day game. So if they can get the momentum going with that, that, of course, then takes them into that World Cup. And it's a vital time for SA to be on top in cricket right now. Because a World Cup right now in any format, it will be a huge thing for them. And various monkey on back comments. There we go. Uh, other test cricket, well, other cricket going on right now. New Zealand are hosting Australia. And they were hoping to put a much better fight than they did. They were absolutely comprehensively beaten by an innings and 52 runs by Australia. And that would be a dicking that nobody would really have predicted well, to the sheer extent of it, uh, if you look back at the scorecard there, well, there was just no one really. Uh, Mark Craig was probably the best batsman here, the the New Zealand off spinner. But after being um, after batting first, there was just lots and lots of ducks and single figures here. I think Guptill got off to a decent start; he made eighteen. Kane Williamson, the star player, and he made sixteen. Uh, Anderson had a bit of a go, so one hundred eighty-three. Uh, the wickets there being shared by Hazelwood, Siddle, and Lyon. And then it came with the Aussies to bat, and then big scores. That Voges, I mean, he started his career at the age of, I think, 34, 239. He just seems to get really big scores, and the guy's obviously been very patient. Usman Kawaja, also with the 100, so 5-6-2 they got. And then, well, again, the, the Kiwis had a bit of a better better go at it from the second innings, but again, that Lion, another four wickets. Uh, he got three in the first. Australia seemed to use him very sparingly, though. They seem to think he's just a test match player. But I reckon that guy, he's got such a good action. He's such a good player. They should put him everywhere. But yeah, we've got the conversation coming up with Mike Stopworth quite shortly. We'll be having a debate around the, the pros and cons of ODI cricket and if it does actually have a future. But i tell you who might not have a future quite soon is that Yuri Rue. Now, you know, he's the sort of supremo of, I think he's the the MD or CEO of Saru, I'm not sure. Whatever Regan Hoskins isn't, he's the other one. I think Regan Hoskins is the president. I think Yuri is the CEO. So for quite a while now, there's been a story about him misappropriating funds at Stellenbosch University for what he deemed as a scholarship program. Anyway, it wasn't sanctioned. Money's gone missing. And Yuri has now got to appeal, appear before the Cape Town High Court, Western Cape High, High Court, to basically, and he's got to pay back the money. It's, uh, it's quite worrying. 32 million rand is, is what's basically gone unaccounted for. So that is a lot of money. How much he has pocketed, no one really knows. At the moment, it's just widespread speculation. But this is where the story gets strange, is that if you are embroiled in such a case, you shouldn't be employed by Sari, right? Sari should be done with this guy. It does not look good. If he's doing that with Stellenbosch University, he could be doing it with Sari. I mean, if I was a major sponsor, I would also be very, very negative about this right now, be very tentative, maybe even pull out sponsorship. But if Sari were to get rid of him, his contract is such that it would then cost around 15 million rand to get rid of him. 15 million. That's a lot. That's that's big money. That's just not a drop in the ocean, even for these big companies who have these big uh, corporate sponsors. So sorry, we're still having a uh, name of successor for Heine Khmer right now, but it looks like they've really got some bigger fish to, fish to fry. And what Hoskins is going to do is, well, it's critical. Huh? You think you've got to be a president of this organization. You can't have these things just simmering below. And everyone knows about now. It's out in the open. And if this high court finds him to be guilty of all these misappropriated funds, then again, how the hell can this guy stay in charge? In the Springbok news, it looks like some new selectors will be coming into the mix. It looks like Nick Mallett and Andre Fenter. 
Those are the two names that have come forward recently, uh, if um, sources are correct. Now, Nick Mallet is a guy that probably should be involved in SA Rugby somewhere along the line. Sorry, Brendan Fenter. My apologies. That's very insensitive of me. Brendan Fenter and Nick Mallet. A slight slip of the tongue. Uh, Nick Mallet needs to be in, in charge of something in SA Rugby. The guy's just got such a good rugby head. And there's no way he should just be on super sports. I mean, sure, bring him on there. He's good at entertainment, but he's got to be bettering the Springbok cause. Now, Ian McIntosh, uh, how old is this guy? I mean, he must be, must be in the eighties. Very, very oldish. He's done a good job. He's been there for quite a while, but it looks like he could be done. So Nick Mallett's, uh, Brennan Fenter, I welcome those two any day. Good rugby brains. And I think they know exactly what's happening in rugby right now and would get the best players the best role. Ah, Six Nations. Uh, it was an interesting weekend. I thought the top three would kind of steam away, but they didn't. France beating Ireland 10-9. It was a very sort of big arm wrestle, that one there. Wales 27-23 against Scotland. But more, a bit more, a much better game, put it that way. Uh, Scotland did show a lot of fight, but then Wales pulled away with two tries in the second half. Scotland did fight back at the end, but 27-23 it was. And then England, they went to Rome and they thrashed Italy 40 points to nine. So that next takes up, sorry, sets up uh, enthralling weekend, well, next round of matches. England and France are the two unbeaten teams so far, right? So they're top of the table. But you've got to think, as soon as France plays England or Wales, they're, they're going to sort of, you know, be found out. And that is the very next game. It's, good, it's a break this weekend. So it'll be the 26th of Feb. We've got Wales versus France, and that's in Wales. What is now called the Principality Stadium. And then on the 27th, we've got Italy versus Scotland. I don't have to worry too much about that. But then England versus Ireland. So if England and Wales want to announce themselves as title contenders, this is that weekend to do it. So that's next weekend. Wales versus France, England versus Ireland. Next weekend also sees the start of Super Rugby. I know the Stormers had a very, uh, very impressive win over the Jaguars. Now the Jaguars are essentially the Argentinian team. And, uh, these preseason games don't count for a hell of a lot, but it's just important that the Stormers do get some sort of confidence going there. They had a very much a second string kind of side, and they still did, did the business against what was going to be a strong team in this in this tournament. You've got to think that the Argentinians will hopefully put together the closest their national team as they can. And if that happens, they're going to be more than more than competitive. Now, next week, we are going to get more into football. We've kind of given it a skip recently because there's been so much cricket action on the go, but the English Premier League has never, never looked more exciting. You think you've got Leicester, they've got a one-point lead over Spurs. Arsenal joined Spurs on points, but just behind a goal difference, and then you've got Man City a few points back. But you've got three teams. I, I would love to think that there's going to be a three-horse race between the top there because Spurs, uncharted territory for sure. Leicester, completely so. When you think this time last year, they were fighting for relegation. They they won that fight. Now they're fighting for premiership title. It's an incredible story. It's one of those stories they could probably make a movie out of. And uh, I think there's already going to be a movie around Jamie Vardy. He was a guy that basically was earning £30 a week about three, four years ago, playing for some knockaround team. And here he is, the top goal scorer in the Premier League. And there's going to be so much money thrown at him from next year. Loads of teams are going to want to po- uh, poach him. So just running through the big results from the weekend. Sunderland, they beat Man United 2-1. Chelsea, they won 5-1 against Newcastle. So it looks like Gus Hiddink is really turning things around there. Uh, Man United fans just getting more and more angry. And then the big day of football was Arsenal beating Leicester 2-1. Leicester were down to 10 men, so a bit unfortunate for them. Aston Villa took a thrashing 0-6 to Liverpool. Really, really comprehensive loss there. And then Man City, again they lost at home, 1-2 to Spurs. It looks like um, our guest is running late, unfortunately. Um, problem with these big corporate types, you know, they've got so many different interviews. They're big high-profile people. But hey, Mike will be with us shortly. Before we get to him, there was some interesting golf action over the weekend. Now, Charles Schwarzel, he did so well at the, winning again at the Dunhill at Leopard Creek. And then he, he contracted an illness. Uh, he was in and out of hospital, stomach virus, not looking good. And here's a guy who doesn't have 200 grams to lose, let alone four or five kilograms. So he was waylaid from that, didn't get to compete in the SO Open. He came back with a vengeance, though, at the Schwanner Open, and he won by eight shots in the end. Now, that is an incredible total when you look at his, the scores. The field was very much bunched together, but there was just him. So it was him and the rest. He started off quite slow with a 71, and then he just cruised into contention with a 64 on the Friday. And then 66, followed by a 63 on Sunday. That it was just incredible, incredible golf. And i got to say... 
it's difficult to kind of see when this guy's on his A game, how anyone locally can beat him. It's now about just taking that to the, well, to the bigger stage. Exceptional talent. And along with Louis Ustazen, you've got to think these guys are capable of so much. They can just kick on, kind of find a rhythm, kind of stay injury free and play all the tournaments they're going to suit their games. They'll only get further and further up the world rankings. So that's pretty much it for your headlines. Mike is still running late on the chat about the cricket, but not so worried. I've got more Happy Gilmore clips. Actually, you know what, Dan? I think we should chat now. Yeah, I I hate having to ever rush you, so I think we should get you in because this week's topic from the Conquer Sports guys, of course, Dan writes all these things, tremendous writer. It's about recycling talent. So while Mike makes his way here from four ways, I think that's where his offices are. We're going to get Dan in, and uh, let's just see which sports you could be a multifaceted individual in. But first, back to, here we go, Happy Gilmore. 20 years since Happy Gilmore came out. I think most people have found their way over to Happy Gilmore. He's been the talk of the course today with his huge drives and his amazingly bizarre behavior. He's on the 17th green right now, having a little trouble closing out his day. Happy, the ball itself has its own energy, or life force, if you will. Its natural environment is in the hole. So why don't you send him home? His bags are packed. He's got his airplane tickets. Bring him to the airport. Send him home. <laughs> send him home. I just send him home. It's time to go home there, ball. Son of a bitch, Paul, why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Suck my white ass, Paul! put out a press release concerning Happy Gilmore being thrown off the tour. I want to see a draft by 6 p.m. You're right. He was out of line. His behavior is completely unacceptable. But you know... Golf has been waiting for a player like this, a colorful, emotional, working-class hero. I will not tolerate behavior like this. Gilmore is gone. I just got a call from the Dallas Open. Their phones have been ringing off the hook with people who want to see Happy. They just sold out. Already? I know. He's a little rough around the edges. But let me work with him. Okay. Fine. But he's your responsibility. If he cleans up his act, he can stay. If he doesn't, it's your ass. And any more of this? And he's gone. Twenty years ago, many will say that it wasn't the best golfing uh, movie. There was a lot of inaccuracies. If you watch the actual golf footage, it's, it's terrible. I mean, he's. When he hits those drives and they go forever, it's like, um, it's all over the place. It's different courses used. The rules are funny. But hey, people don't watch it for the golfing accuracy. People say that Caddyshack is the better movie. Dan, if you were to say your, your favorite, uh, golfing movie would be? Definitely Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore left an indelible mark on society. Sure. And it invented a whole new shot. I mean, how many of us have tried to, try to do a happy? Everyone, everyone, everyone. Right, Dan. So what have we got this week? Alrighty. So, um, this week's article is all about the idea of talent transfer and um, essentially getting getting the oh what's happening with the mic here getting the right athletes. Has it gone a bit limp on you? It has gone a bit limp on me. Don't I'll hold it. Okay, well, you move across. Uh, okay, I'll go to that one. Sorry, I just once. Uh, Sorry, his mic's gone a bit limp. It literally just it just hello died in his hands. Yeah. Alrighty, so this week's article is all about talent transfer. And the idea of getting the right athlete um, participating in the right sport. So I essentially start off with what if the next gold medalist was in, in, the, in 100 meters was a mediocre long jumper or the, the world record breaker in shot put was, was a hurdler, you know. So the idea of, of getting the right, sport, the right athlete in the right sport. And I chatted to some very, very intelligent people at the Australian Institute of Sports because I don't know if you know this, but Australia um, – relative to their population consistently punch above their weight in terms of gold medals. I mean, they win, they win, they win a medal for every 600,000 citizens in their country. America win a a medal for every um, 3 million people in their country. So when you talk about a powerhouse, Australia really is probably one of the, maybe the best sporting nation in the world. 
without doubt, that's a pretty, <laughs> pretty contra- um, complicated stat there. But yeah. it's it's quite simple when you get down to it. Is that look at a population of people who can actually get to the Olympics. I know you're thinking six hundred thousand relative, but still, even with resources and facilities, that kind of stuff, they may have a small population, but that's amazing. That's amazing use of resources too. Right, because and in this case, the resources, talent, and getting that talent in the right sports is is a very, very complicated and tricky process, which we go through in the article. But essentially, it's it's about finding the right fit and and what constitutes success in a particular sport, and finding an athlete that can fit that sport. It doesn't always work, obviously. Um, but it's essentially a real life version of, of cool runnings where sprinters went to, to bobsledding, which unfortunately, which might disappoint some people, was almost entirely fabricated. Really? Cool runnings, yeah. So they weren't elite sprinters. They were actually drafted from the military. And they, uh, the people that, that came up with this concept of Jamaican sprinters going into bobsledding couldn't actually get one elite sprinter to try out the experiment. So they went to the military. Ah, okay. So and, Hollywood did it again. Huh? And, and, and probably most upsetting of all is that the feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme mantra was, was also entirely fabricated. Okay. Now this is just crazy talk, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> of, course, of course that happened in the movie. I know. It bummed me out as well. Right. Okay. So, um, Something that I, I liked about the article, I did give it a read. Now, if you want to read this article, all of Dan's chats on the Mondays here are all based on something he has written the week prior. So if you go into conquersport.com uh, forward slash blog, and you'll find uh, you know, a variety of things there. Um, I did make a few notes because uh, the Winter Olympics. Mm. Now, for many, you don't have the chance to go to the Winter Olympics because you haven't got snow. I mean, we're right. not going to play some of these things. But... When you think of like the various disciplines here, many people can somehow strap themselves into it. Well, that was the idea with with Australia, and, that, and that's that's kind of how uh, I came across this article. I uh, I read a chapter in the Sports Gene. I don't know if you've ever read it by David Epstein. No. In my opinion, the best sports sports book ever written. He he speaks about you know the, the physical attributes of particular sports, and Australian scientists at the at the AIS Australian Institute of Sport realized that. For skeleton, which is similar to bobsledding, but you slide down on your belly head first. So it's, a, I mean, obviously a crazy sport, but it's they realize completely crazy, yeah, completely crazy. But they realize that the first sprint accounts for almost fifty percent of the overall time. So they essentially had a had a, an American idol of of skeleton mm-hmm. and scoured Australia for fit athletes, female athletes who were crazy enough to do the sport. And um, most of the, most of the athletes. Um, that they drafted came from various speech, uh, beach sports and sprinting sports, such as right. yeah. So oh, they're really good at that life-saving stuff. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. And that was that was one of the donor sports of uh, for the skeleton. And although they never they never won any medals um, in in 2006 at the Turin Games, they they realized that this that this philosophy around talent transfer could be successful and and since then it has been very successful for Australia. Well, I guess it's I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you've got if you're physically capable and versatile, there's certain sports you can sort of jump and chop and change from. You can't essentially do it for something like tennis or badminton well, or exactly. That, that's especially a bit more skill set, yeah. Right, skill based sports are a lot more difficult because they're they're particular nuances that that can only come from experience. I mean, because in skill based sports there's so many different ways to to win a match. Mm. Those different variables are are built up through experience. I mean, over 100 meters. In 100 meter sprint or losing or skeleton, there's one way to beat someone. That's by being faster than them. So going forward so, fast, yeah. Exactly. So you can break that down and kind of and kind of piece together what that means. But in cricket, or in football, or in rugby, there's there's so many different ways to win. And I think those extra variables can only be developed through experience. So when we talk about talent transfer, sure, you might you might get a cricketer or a, a rugby player that that was participating in another sport, but this the research and the, and the evidence shows that this is mostly for physical sports like running or swimming or right. skeleton so has there been a particular sort of donor sport so to speak that's been more successful than the other ones yeah so uh for for the AS gymnastics is a is a great donor sport for, and for a number of reasons right because I mean, they're machines because huh? they're machines. men female whatever yeah exactly absolute machines that physical that physical ability and literacy that's built from gymnastics is uh, well Research shows that it's the best donor sport and gymnastics finishes at around the age of 16, 17. So you can build that, 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 that gymnastics up. Really? Re- are, you, are you over the hill by the time you hit yeah, puberty there? Yeah, yeah. 17 is about the peak for, 
17, 18 is about the peak for an elite gymnast. So you've developed that physical literacy. Now you're 18. Now what do you do? Wow. A great way to recycle that talent is to find a sport that kind of suits your, your body. Sure, because once you've done gymnastics, like whatever those things are, because they look impossible. Mm. That's why maybe they need to drone them into kids because you right. really just do it all day. Sure. But you can go into so many different things and you get the most amazing build. I mean, look how strong those guys who do the rings are. Mm. So now, can you, can you imagine trying to take that talent and transfer it into discus or, or, or some other upper body strength? Oh, you think like javelin, all that kind of stuff. Right. Or if you just make him a fetcher, I mean, if he's got arms like that from the rings, he'd be pretty handy at a loose ruck. But unfortunately for, for a sport like rugby, he, he would have lost that, that, yeah. that kind of field perception and, and, and experience that comes from playing the sport and being on the field. Okay. Well, let's just try, let's look at a couple of other SA sports. Now, when you think of American sports, you think big money, right? Mm. Huge money. You can make it there like anything. When you're looking at comedy, TVs, whatever, you make it in America, you're making huge money. Right. Is there a case that certain cricketers, similar kind of discipline to baseball, you're hitting a ball, right? I'm sure it's coming out differently. There's different kind of ways of hitting a ball. But our cricketers are such complete players. If you watch a guy like Avery de Villiers in, in full swing, watch a guy like David Warner, um, you know, Joe Root, these guys, they've got such amazing eye-hand coordination. Mm. Surely they can go over to baseball and there would be a huge success. Well, in, in, in theory, you would think so because, as you said, the hand-eye coordination and, I mean, hitting, a, in my opinion, it, I've never tried to hit a baseball, but it, it looks a lot, e- a lot easier to hit a baseball because of the, it's not bouncing off the ground. But, exactly. But I'm being biased. So in a, in a previous article last year, I, I wrote about how a American coach, I beg pardon, a British coach was trying to turn America into the next T20 giant. And they were taking mi- failed minor league baseball players and turning them into cricketers. But when you, when you look at the way a baseballer hits a ball, it is different to the way a cricket hits a ball because of, as we said, it doesn't balance and it well, moves and in the air very differently. The, the issue of footwork. Exactly. So I, I get, I mean, I, I would, I would back AB to hit a home run tomorrow. Yeah. I would definitely say cricket to baseball. I mean, there is that movie where that guy went and he tried to uh, recruit Indian kids to become, to become pitchers, wasn't it? Eh? Yeah. To become pitchers. Yeah. Cause they just, you're just throwing the ball. Right. How so, hard. So what, what are you saying? Are you saying that going from baseball to cricket? No, no. Cause there's too many different technicalities in cricket, but right. if you're going from cricket to baseball, I reckon these guys can make big money switches, which just proves that cricket is by far the superior sport. Oh, without doubt. I mean, the only reason yeah. baseball was invented despite the British. Yeah. And cause all Americans obviously not very good at it. So when you think of recycling talent, right? You look at guys going for T20 leagues. Like you take that guy, uh, Sean Tate from Australia. Yeah. He could only bowl three, four overs. Okay. Then he would blow up. Mm. So he went into T20, but that guy's slinging action was such that he would launch the ball at like 150. He was ridiculously fast. Right. A guy like that, his fastball, I'm sure, would beat any Yank. Sure. Without doubt. So these guys are going to go chase money in the T20 leagues, right? So now they've got the Caribbean League, the Big Bash, the IPL. Mm. But if these Americans had any sort of foresight, I believe, they can go, right, this guy, he's played cricket, but he's now in the T20 um, money for hire kind of area of his career. Let's get him in. Sure. I reckon the money would be so much better than anything in the IPL. And he would just be as a pitcher. So the longevity there as well. You wouldn't, I mean, you pitch a whole game, I'm sure it's quite difficult, but you're throwing a ball, you're not running up and bowling. So what you're saying is that we should get together and find has-beens in cricket or, or nearly theirs in cricket and turn them into the most elite baseball team MLB has ever seen. Let's do it. I reckon we can broker a good deal here. If we're on 5% commission, we're going to make money. Sure. Yeah, I'm in. Lasseth Malinga, I mean, what a pitcher he'd make. He would be amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, like, people love going to America. Look at the major league football stuff over there. Beckham went over there. Tyrone Rewin over there. It's a big deal. But those were, that was a minor sport in America. Right. Now you're taking guys from cricket and you're taking it to one of their major sports. So talent transfer for, for cricketers into baseball, I could see it working for sure. I think we need to get onto this. I really do. Um, there wasn't a question I was going to actually ask you. Um, yeah, I suppose it was rugby players going into NFL. Um, it's possible, but again, NFL is more physical specimen, so it's very, very competitive there. I don't think there would be much differentiating between a guy like Maunanu running and then one of a guy there because they've been so specialized in doing that for so long. But, but never, never mind the, 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 the physicality of the sports. As, as you say in the article, which is why skill-based sports don't really lend themselves to talent transfer because sure, Nanu might be able to pick a gap in a rugby field because he's had that experience, but. Yeah. Put him in a helmet, put him under the pads, put him in the different plays, and because he hasn't been doing it his whole life, 
it wouldn't transfer well. But with CGS Sports, which are, which are uh, sports measured in centimeters, grams, and seconds, so it's running, weightlifting, hurdling, shot put, most Olympic sports, that lends itself more to talent transfer because mm. the the ways in which you can be successful are that much narrower. Yeah, so if you're a prop and you can't get into the free state starting lineup or whatever, but there could be a complete Olympic f- future for you in shot put or discus. Exactly, but once again, as as you spoke about a couple of weeks ago, the most important thing is to sample these sports and and not to specialize say, early. It it takes back into your thing. Don't specialize when you're a, a talented kid. Get the flexibility of trying various things. And I think you said in your article at this Australia Institute, people are encouraged to do a variety of sports rather than just commit to one early. Right, for and for a number of reasons. For the for the obvious one is that the sampling and 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 the whole sp- debate around specialization. It makes sense to sample in different sports, but. How many runs did Jacques Cullis make because he went and cleared his mind playing golf? Um, it's so important for these athletes to, to feel like athletes and be physical, but away from the sport that is their primary job. Right. And you never know. It, you, just by, just by trying another sport for, for the hell of it, you might actually realize that, that that is your, your path to success. Cool, Dan. Well, I think we're going to conclude by saying we need to get baseballs into bowlers' hands. Right. We need to time them. We need to take videos, and we need to go to America and pitch this to these people. Done. I'm in. Okay. Let's try, let's look for some capital. Maybe Mike, our next guest, can help us raise that. I think we, no, this is a surefire thing. I think this talent recycling is a way forward because we can't all grow to be 14 year old Russian gymnasts. Well, I mean, <laughs> we might. All right, Dan, as always, every Monday with the Conquer Sport feature. Recycling talents, if you go into conquersport.com, you can read the full thing and then follow Dan on Twitter at Daniel Gallen. That's with two L's and Conquer Sport, C-O-N-Q-A, sport, one word. Thanks, Dan. I look forward to next week. Thanks very much. All right, so we've got Mike Stopworth coming in. The big ODI debate. Is there a future for it in the sport? I sure as hell think so. But Dan, uh, sorry, uh, oh, Mike has got some other views, and Mike's a very learned individual, so we'll definitely take his views very seriously. But first, some more from the 20-year anniversary of Happy Gilmore. Trying to reach the green from here, Shooter? That's not possible, sir. I beg to differ. Happy Gilmore accomplished that feat no more than an hour ago. Well, moron, good for Happy Gilmore, oh my God! You remember that the really, really tall guy? He was like, back in the 80s, he was such a cult figure, a ginormous guy. Anyway, he was a big feature in that Happy Gilmore movie. He was like the, he was his old boss or whatever, and he was towering over Shooter. Now, Shooter McGavin became a huge uh, character in himself. If you actually go onto Twitter, there's a guy who basically created the Shooter McGavin uh, profile, and he just tweets various things from the movie, and, and he comments about local golf and like current affairs and Tiger Woods' life and all that kind of stuff. Very, very cool. That movie has left a huge mark on sports movies entirely. Right, we've got Mike Stopforth in. He has arrived. Mike, it's so great to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me, Ben. Sorry I'm late. No, not to worry, Mike. These things happen in life. But hey, it's an hour of sports. So whether we do things now or 10 minutes later, no biggie. Yeah, it's sport. Time is not really important, is it? Well, no, no, unless you're playing football and you're in injury time and you're about to lose your job. But yeah. we won't talk about Man United right now. We're talking ODI cricket now. Thrilling, thrilling weekend of ODI cricket. Did you watch the matches? Yeah, I may have. This would be an in, uh, probably an easier conversation to have <laughs> had we not just wit- witnessed a one, what is it, one in 220 chance of South Africa recovering a series from 2-0 down, something ridiculous like that. I think it's only the fourth time that's happened in the history of five match series. Well, it's quite something. Didn't this exact same thing happen when we had the Aussies here and the fifth match was the 4-3-8 game? I don't think we were 2-0 down. I think we were 2-1 down. I think they won Kingsmead. Okay. And I think we won the next game. Well, I've checked, okay. I'm well, not entirely sure. I'll but, take but, your word for it. But you, from 2-0 from down, that's, I think it's only happened four times in, in the history of, of the ODR format. Well, I think much like um, you get F1 teams that just try to go on you know, one set of tires and hope for the best, I think England were looking for, we've got to win this thing 3-0, otherwise not going to win it. We're so knackered. I mean, like some of those guys are just so over it now. You yeah. can just see it. There, there's that. And I think um, the emotional uh, hangover of the test series. I, I think we grossly underestimate the significance of that. I think if you consider where England were a year ago yeah. um, and where they are now as, as a unit, that's an extraordinary turnaround. So, so I think there was a bit of a hangover from that. 
but I think we're also desperate. I, I, I don't want to discount just how um, how much pressure must have been on AB and the boys to deliver in this particular series. There was a, a hell of a lot of dissent, and I, I can only imagine what's been going on um, behind the scenes. No, there was it was complete desperation. You think you got AB in his whole workload conversations and that kind of stuff. Indeed, he a- needs to ease off on that. I reckon you don't see a hell of a lot of workload conversations from Donny, but. <laughs> Yeah, well, Donny is one of the, he's the only guy in the Forbes top 100 from cricket. Uh, he, he sucks up with the money. No, sure, sure. But it's, I don't think AB's doing terribly badly himself. But, uh, no, this, exactly. you know, so this is a discussion to have though. Cause I, I mean, I was having this debate with somebody online around, uh, professionalism versus this is the gentleman's game, right? And yeah. inverted commons. And we were talking about that man cat dismissal and the West Indies going on to the under 19 West Indies team going on to win that under 19 final yeah. and whether or not we should be celebrating it because did they really win it legitimately? And, um, that's an interesting discussion around the dynamics between what is traditionally being considered a very sportsmanship orientated game mm-hmm. and what is now a game of huge, huge finances. So, so it's impossible to discount that, impossible to ignore just how much of a role money's playing. I mean, yeah, well, that's something for future. But for now, Mike, we're going to talk about this ODI game. Now, Let's. you said to me on Twitter that perhaps this isn't the way forward. Cricket should be what? Tests and T20s? ODIs is like the middleman, like the third wheel. So, kind so of like the fat it's cousin. It's not the first time that that's been purported, right? Yeah, the red-headed stepchild. Well, the, 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 the words like purported. The, you bring your A-game here. Cricket format. Um, so, so here's, here's the deal, right? Like if you speak to, to purists. Yeah. They'll swear by tests and, 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 and that the test match format is still alive and well and still producing extraordinarily good Spot cricket. On. And it is the considered, I think, by players, administrators and fans, the pinnacle of the sport. It is a rather unique sport though. If you consider that we can have a reasonable debate about three completely different formats, right. I don't know if there's another sport on the planet that offers us the opportunity to have that kind of, um, Diverse discussion about the same sport, but in, in so many different versions. I Which guess is it, going to start happening with sevens in the 15 man game in rugby soon as well. Absolutely. It's probably the only other legitimate conversation. But yeah, sevens, tens and fifteens, I guess, arguably, well, are tens, pre-established format. Tens is for drinking. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I've heard so. So, 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 so here's, here's the argument. The newcomer, the, the pure cricket enthusiast is going to purport to like the T20 game and I think that the T20 game has opened up cricket to a whole new audience it's opened up cricket to a whole new bank of sponsors it really has changed the dynamic in terms of how how people interact with the game and I think the ability to follow and enjoy a game in three hours which is superb right so 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 here's the deal I think that we need to can the 50 over format because nobody cares about it it's weird because it's the only format that we have a decent World Cup for, mm-hmm. but it's the only format that nobody really cares about. You either really care about tests or you really care about T20s. And I would want to suggest, instead of doing away with it, replacing it with an amalgamated format of T20 and tests. So here's the deal. Can I propose my format? Mike, you can do whatever you want. Just speak directly into the mic, though. Okay. That's my, that's my only, my only. I'm very passionate and as, as I get more and more passionate. The only rules about this. I don't know whether you're telling me to move away. No, no, just get honest. You could just be explicit. That'd be great, Ben. (laughs) Do your job. Okay. So. In line, in line. (laughs) So here's the, here's the, uh, here's the alternative approach, right? Is that you have a T20 game of two innings. All right. So you have a five minute break between the two innings and you have a 15 minute or a 20 minute break between the two groups of innings. So you would have team A come in. Uh, they would bat for 20 overs or however long they managed to stay in for. You would have team B come in and respond to that innings and then you would have an innings break and then you would have your sec- second innings for team A and of course your second innings for team B, which means we could have all of these iterations that make test cricket so fascinating. You could have, um, follow-ons. You could have, uh, innings defeats. You could have all of these coming out, but in a, wham bam thank you ma'am version of it's still the same length as a 50 over game so you're still getting that same long sure. in terms of a whole you know you could have two innings in the day two innings in the evening or whatever but i'm saying that that we now kind of bridge the gap between those that love the puritanical version of the game in the test match format and those that love the smash it around version in t20s and we get this amalgamated bastard child Sounds lovely, but bastard child is exactly what I was thinking there. It's like the island of Dr. Moreau fused with something else. <laughs> what I believe is that T20 is great for the game. Now, I've been very skeptical about the format, and I think a lot of the time it's become too much of a circus and sideshows and money. 
But I think T20 is great because it's taking the sport further as far as you've got to be a real athlete. It's taking skill levels higher. Yes. Yes. T20 must be taken and must be run like its own talented child. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's no restrictions on T20. So first of all, stop playing internationally. Yes. It shouldn't be an international World Cup. Screw that. There's no point trying to make T20 another version of ODI cricket. Sure. So take that away straight away. These franchises, wonderful. Keep them going. But they need to actually grow kind of in a more of a pragmatic sense. Than I'm, I'm assuming you mean the including top. the Masters Champions League. Hey, you're that a big can, fan of that, that as well, That can right? piss right off right now. <laughs> Masters Champions League and Heath Streaks. <laughs> Mantis. I, I just don't want to see old people. Like, you know, Krista Berg's coming to this country. Who wants to see that? Yeah. I, uh, lady Heat streak, I'm guessing. <laughs> <Heat> streak. <laughs> so what has happened with T20 is that it must be given the chance to be a real boy and just go forth and run, run amok, do whatever. Mm-hmm. So instead of international, they should have the all-star league where they literally do pick a team from the Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, and they have this great series rather than a World Cup because that's stupid. Okay. It's long-winded. So now you've got T20. Now you've got this element of cricket that can have just that one fan who really wants the cut and thrust, right? Test cricket is test cricket. That's beautiful. And I guess I guess you're also alluding to the fact that one of the beauties of the T20 format is that we get so many players from different nations that have never played together before suddenly yes. playing together, which is also, I think, being good for the game. Which is now talking towards more your bastard child modern family setup. You can have that, and T20 can own that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Test cricket's a wonderful thing. I think it will stay there. The countries have been doing it for hundreds of years. Keep doing it. For me, the most important part is the middle, actually. ODI cricket holds cricket together. It should be the only one with a World Cup. I don't see that, bad. but nobody this, cares. But about this it. is my point. Sponsors don't care about it. I disagree. It doesn't it's get still priority. Going on. It might not get priorities because cricket doesn't know where it stands with all these different things going on. They're all saying Test cricket. Uh, they're either going to say it's the greatest thing or it's in trouble. They can't make their mind up because everyone's just all over the place with their theories right now. T Twenty cricket. They want to do this. They want to do that. It's T Twenty. Spotted on right there. With your idea about having that double innings thing, it's too complicated. It's just too complicated. I love the idea because you're taking nuances of both and you're putting it into the middle. Sure. Wonderful. What's complicated about that? It's you not more complicated than test cricket. You know, every, well, that's fine. Test cricket can be whatever it wants. Test cricket is that, is that quirky old uncle with lots of money. You can get away with whatever he wants. So He's you're there. Sa- you're saying, you're saying the average enthusiast, cricket enthusiast, this newcomer to the game, this 10 year old or 15 year old yeah. fan, or fan for 10 or 15 years, rather, is not going to enjoy the complexity of a test dynamic. I don't think so. I think we'll be lost in them. So now you've got innings one, two, possible follow-on, this and that. The people are going to go like, like, are we in the first innings or the second innings? Yeah, I don't know if we really want to argue that cricket's a sport that has a minimum of jargon to start off with, though. I mean, like, I had I had Anna asking me, yes, she's like, you know about cricket, right? So, so, so I'm like, a little. She says, why is it called a Yorker? So I'm like, that's a good question. I haven't really looked that up. She's like, and silly point? I'm like, I'm not entirely sure about that well, either. he's so close. He's yeah. got to be silly. Yeah. Anyway, so I think one-day cricket, as it is, right, I think it's great. It's some of the greatest matches we've ever seen and talked about are one-day games. The 4-3-8 match. Without a doubt. It's Friday at the Wanderers. That was something that people will Pal- talk about for months. Pales in comparison to the number of great test matches we've had, though. And a lot of those great matches have only really happened in the last five years. Test matches aside, that's, Maybe that's cool. Maybe on that's, the back of the T20 game. Test matches, the Bentley and the Garage. We're not talking about him right now. He's good. Sure. But the thing is, these one-day games still bring the best of the best out in cricket. And I think it's long enough that you don't have to be intensely watching every ball. That's the thing about T20 cricket. Cricket's a game where you're at your own leisure. It's mm-hmm. like those, those comfy those like slippers you get into. You know, you don't have to be so intense about it. T20, you've got to watch every ball. Test cricket, you can miss a day or two and still come back. ODIs, you can miss maybe an hour or a few overs here and there. It's okay. And so that's, so what, that's the problem that I have. So when I watch a T20 game, I don't want to miss anything, right? I don't want to miss Chris that's Gale's too much watching, you know, like. 400 runs of 17 balls. And when I watch Test Cricket, I don't want to miss it either because of the – I'm and that's a very valid point. I'm watching a two-game uh, two all-series finale yesterday, and I'm so bored that I'm willing to watch the Arsenal game. Like, that that's how bored I am, that I'm switching over to watch Arsenal play fucking Leicester. And, and <laughs> that's how bored I was. And, and we were winning. So, so I'm arguing that I don't think, I don't think the 50 over game has that intrigue anymore. I don't think it has that edge. And what I'm saying is if we want that same time allocation, let's take what we love most about test match cricket. Okay. And that's the, you know, that dynamic between the two innings. Let's take what we most love about T20, which is volatile unpredictability. And let's, as I say, Island of Dr. Moreau them and, and see what happens. I don't know. I think that adds a bit of intrigue to, cause all we're doing is, 
same amount of overs, just a slightly different way of pummeling them out. No, I, I get you. You know, there was a while ago that I I sort of proposed the exact same format, and then I just thought about one day cricket and what it actually resembles because it's you need to be tested in cricket the whole way through. Mm-hmm. This whole thing of standing there and swinging and maybe you're having three over bursts here and there. It takes a lot to get a bowler to bowl 10 overs, right? So you're separating the men from the boys a hell of a lot in one-day cricket, which you're not in T20 because you've got these specialist people. Test cricket, you can recoup after having a dodgy spell. So you're saying you want the rigor and discipline that comes with great cricket. Bloody right. Okay, now you're contradicting yourself because that's exactly the point that I was making early on is that that's fabulous, but we get that in test match cricket and nobody that watches 50 over cricket, or at least nobody that's an enthusiast of the 20 over format, this includes sponsors, administrators, and the, the world of dollars behind it, is interested in having rigor. And, I mean, I don't know, did you watch any of the under-19 uh, No, but that's just, that's just my point. The beauty of the game is that you're getting that rigor in a more kind of concentrated format. Yeah, I just got a whole bunch of commentators saying, this is really boring because they're only scoring 150 runs. There are 150 really good, hard-working, rigorous runs. Anybody that cares about the... The five-day format is looking at, at that and going, wow, this is cool. This is still a bowler's game. Just so happens that it's a bowler's game in Bangladesh. But but the point being was um, the rigor, the discipline, the the perseverance wasn't the part that people wanted to watch in that under-19 World Cup. They wanted to see Pope smash the ball over the boundary. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see England dominate. Uh, that, that, I guess, is – and it's because the audience that's, that's watching that and participating that, I think, is a T20-favored audience. Anyway – Good debate. Uh, I don't think it will ever happen, so it's not well, really a reasonable discussion. Well, maybe to it just have. comes down to a question of foreplay. I mean, you want the one, and then you want the other. I'm, I'm very much thinking that there's definitely a common ground in this in this whole cricket thing, and the ODI format keeps producing really great matches. Mm. So, as much as people can say, you know what, I don't like twenty to forty overs. There's a there's a doldrum for me. That's when I watch football. Mm-hmm. So what? Even it, if it's Arsenal, yeah. it's creating the best ten over finish. It's creating these really great finishes to matches. Is that we become so attuned because of our phones and social media and all that kind of stuff. We pick and choose, and we're just taking everything. We don't buy albums. We download a song. It's the culture that we are now taking and throwing into everything. Cricket doesn't have to become that way. I think it can survive with three formats, but those formats have got to be seen as separate entities and really given all of that just that. So be distinct in their own identities and not looking to cross them over. Exactly. They need to be more distinct and then we'll really actually appreciate one so, day cricket. So, so I think, I think, I think we're saying the same thing. My concern is that the 50 over format doesn't have that personality. It doesn't seem to have that unique identity. And, and maybe one of the one of the pieces of evidence to support that is how often they change the rules in the fifty over format. I mean, no, it's because, literally it's every because, season we get a new guys like you want to have double innings. That's why it's guys like you, Mark. New You're balls halfway through, and nobody knows what's going on. I mean, they talk about complexity. The fifty over game is probably the most complex version of the game, just in terms of the dynamics on field, fielding yeah, restrictions, yeah, power play. I, I still don't know what power plays are. Um, I, you know, and, well, you like and, two, two people outside of the ring. Thanks. I appreciate that. Anyway, Mike, it's been great having you. Time has run out, unfortunately. We haven't been able to get into any of the messages. I do apologize. Uh, just, just very quickly, Black Box does have something to say. The ODI is, is a day outgoing. You go out and enjoy the whole day. Tension builds gradually and eventually you get a thrilling final five overs. Okay. So Black Box echoing my, my theory here. It's a great build up. It really is. And you get something really special at the end. It's like waiting until Christmas to open that present rather than getting a gift today. Sure. I just made that up right now. Anyway, it's enough for me. Catch Mike on Twitter at Mike Stopforth. And uh, he's always full of very good insights. Mike, thanks for joining me. It's been great thanks having a debate. And if only we had a bit more time, but hey, next time. Uh, we're going to have to play out. That's it. Time is up. Catch the podcast on the Bounce. I'll see you Alternatively, on cliffcentral.com, there is a Bounce page there. Catch you back next week. This is cliffcentral.com.